Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have with us again a very special guest, the Honorable Roger T. Benitez, the U.S. District Court Judge from the Federal Trial Court, Southern District of California, U.S. Court. Just to be clear, Judge Benitez joins us in studio today. We're very honored to have him. He joins us in studio today through his judicial writing. His judgment in the matter of Duncan against Bonta filed September 22nd, 2023. Here is Judge Benitez continuing from last time. We're on page 20 of the Michelle and Associates copy, which is linked in the description. LCMs are used for self-defense, point B. LCM is large capacity magazines, so-called large. Notwithstanding that the Second Amendment protects the right to keep and bear, the state's more troubling argument is that magazines holding more than 10 rounds are not being used for self-defense. By used, the state means actually fired. The state asserts there is no evidence that LCMs are frequently used in self-defense, unquote. Continuing, the state asserts, and the state here is the state of California. That's me. Back to Judge Benitez. Uh, Judge Bonta, sorry for the, sorry, Roger. <laughs> sorry for that. Judge Benitez. Continuing, the state asserts, quote, to the contrary, the record reflects that it is exceedingly rare for an individual in a self-defense situation to fire more than 10 rounds, unquote. But without conceding the accuracy of the state's position, infrequent use or exceedingly rare is not the same as never. To support the state's argument, it relies on a statistician statistician's conclusions that an average of only 2.2 rounds are fired in an average self-defense situation. Because more than 10 rounds in the average situation are not being fired for self-defense, the argument goes, magazines holding more than 10 rounds are not used or needed for self-defense. Oh my gosh. Okay, I got to take a break. I got to take a break already after reading that. I'm, I'm going to take a slight coffee sip. I need coffee after that one. Dang. Judge Benitez again. And because the Second Amendment protects, according to the state, only those arms commonly used for self-defense, the state says that large capacity magazines are not commonly used and therefore are not protected arms. It is a remarkable reading of Heller, McDonald, Cayetano, and Bruin 
to say that if a gun is not fired more than 10 times in self-defense, then the gun's larger magazine is not being used in self-defense. And if it's not used in self-defense, then not protected by the Second Amendment. Yet this is the state's theme. In this court's view, it is a crabbed reading of the Supreme Court's Second Amendment decisions and not relevant to the text, history, and tradition test. The Supreme Court uses several descriptive phrases to describe the kinds of firearms that are protected by the Constitution, but common to all is the notion that to be protected, an arm need only be regarded as typically possessed or carried or commonly kept by citizens to be ready for use if needed. Is it me or is it amazing he has to spell this out? That was me. Judge Benitez. The Republic. <laughs> you can see where my mind goes all the time. The Supreme Court <laughs> has not said that the actual firing of a gun is any part of the test. Indeed, the Second Amendment does not say that the right of the people to keep only such firearms as they actually shoot shall not be infringed. McDonald begins two years, quote, two years ago in the District Columbia versus Heller, we held that the Second Amendment protects the right to keep and bear arms for the purpose of self-defense. And we struck down a District of Columbia law that banned the possession of handguns in the home, unquote. What mattered is the purpose for which handguns were possessed, not necessarily the actual use. And it's like the old movie theaters when they had to switch <laughs> projectors. Uh, that's what I'm doing. Okay, got my new projector up. Judge Benitez continues. The state puts its weight on the words use, uses, and used. One problem with the state's view is that it treats the Supreme Court's opinion language like language of a statute. That is a mistake. Quote, because opinions like statutes are not usually written with the knowledge or expectation that each and every word may be the subject of searching analysis, we do not follow the statutory canons of construction with their focus on textual precision when interpreting judicial opinions, unquote. Under the state's reading, this is Judge Benitez again, a homeowner who displays a handgun with a 17-round magazine to scare away home invaders has not used the 17-round magazine. That's worth repeating. I'm going to read that again. Judge Benitez, page 22. Under the state's reading, a homeowner who displays a handgun with a 17-round magazine to scare away home invaders has not used the 17-round magazine. Under the state's reading, even a citizen who fires his semi-automatic firearm 10 times or less to defend himself 
has not used his 17 round magazine in self-defense. Admittedly, one can find different meanings of the term use. For example, in the context of a criminal statute, the Supreme Court acknowledged use offers different possible meanings. The word use poses some interpretational difficulties because of the different meanings attributed attributable to it. Consider the paradoxical statement, I use a gun to protect my house, but I've never had to use it. Consequently, context is important, whether interpreting a statute or understanding an opinion. So considering the words use or used in context, the state's notion is far removed from the meaning indicated by the Supreme Court. Heller, right, Heller considered merely the simple possession of usable, usable handguns in the home. Focusing on the right to possess a usable arm, Heller said, quote, we consider whether the District of Columbia prohibit, uh, prohibition on the possession of usable handguns in the home violates the Second Amendment to the Constitution, unquote. Actual firing of a handgun in the district was irrelevant. Statistical surveys of shots fired in self-defense were not determinative. They were not even mentioned. Heller used a simpler test. Constitutional protection is afforded to weapons, quote, typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes, unquote, focusing on typicality and possession rather than frequency of firing. McDonald said, quote, the right was also valued because the possession of firearms was thought to be essential for self-defense, unquote. McDonald's focus is on possession. And McDonald says the right applies to, quote, handguns because they are the most preferred firearm in the nation to keep and use for protection of one's home and family, unquote, focusing on a national subjective preference for handguns. There was no effort by the Supreme Court to condition the constitutional right upon some objective metric of actual handgun firing and self-defense. Sorry if I sound like I'm angry when I'm reading this. I'm doing the best I can to just give you the content that Benitez is saying so you get the you understand the law here. And you can understand it. I mean just listen. Here's Judge Benitez again. Bruin says, quote, the Second Amendment guaranteed to all Americans the right to bear commonly used arms in public, unquote. Bruin appears to focus on commonality. Bruin injects some ambiguity with the following phraseology, quote, the Second Amendment protects the possession and use of weapons that are in common use at the time, unquote. Bruin noted that in that case, no party disputed that handguns are weapons in common use today for self-defense, but it did not say what it meant by, quote, use, unquote. So what does the Supreme Court mean by its phrase, quote, in common use, unquote? Is the focus placed on a weapon's commonality in society or the frequency of firing uh, uh, of a weapon's firing? 
Bruin answers the question elsewhere in its opinion. Commonality is the focus. Consider the following sentence from Bruin, quote, drawing from this historical tradition, we explained there that the Second Amendment protects only the carrying of weapons that are those in common use at the time, as opposed to those that are highly unusual in society at large, unquote. Or consider this sentence from Bruin's footnote 13, quote, even assuming that pocket pistols were, as East Jersey in 1686 deemed them, unusual or unlawful, it appears that they were commonly used at least by the founding, unquote. Bruin contrasts common pistols against usual, sorry, unusual pistols. Bruin contrasts common pistols against unusual pistols. The focus remains on commonality, not the frequency of actual discharge in self-defense scenarios. Put simply, Second Amendment protection envelops weapons commonly or typically subjectively chosen by citizens to keep in case of confrontation. From Bruin, it is evident that the Supreme Court's focus is on whether a weapon is common or unusual amongst its citizenry. This, in turn, requires some sort of generalized numerical estimation of citizen ownership or gauge of present popularity. In Cayetano, uh, let me, this is me, briefly say what Cayetano was for those of you who have forgotten or maybe never knew. That was a Supreme Court decision on the Second Amendment. And a lot of people don't know this, but it was recent. It was after Heller and it was after McDonald. It had to do with stun guns in Massachusetts. Okay. And um, it was a per curiam decision, as I recall. So we don't know who exactly wrote it, but I think it was unanimous. And I think everybody signed on to it that, or at least nobody dissented. Um, if I'm wrong, please tell me in the comments and I'll correct it in the future episode. Okay. Or we can talk about it in the comments if you want, but that's Cayetano. Okay. So this is judge Benitez again, page 24 in Cayetano. The concurring justices explained that, quote, the more relevant statistics is that hundreds of thousands of tasers and stun guns have been sold to private citizens who appear, who it appears may lawfully possess them in 45 states, unquote. That Miss Cayetano did not actually energize and fire her stun gun made no difference to the Supreme Court. In her case, she did no more than display the weapon. Quote, she stood her ground and displayed the stun gun, unquote. Absent from the opinion is any discussion about the average number of times a stun gun is energized in an average self-defense scenario. Absent from the opinion is any objective metric counting the frequency with which stun guns have been fired. The, mere, uh, the measure of constitutional protection was that the stun gun was used in the sense that stun guns are widely owned to satisfy a subjective need for protection and that the number in existence was in the hundreds of thousands. 
applying the same measure to magazines. It is the case that magazines holding more than 10 rounds are owned and possessed by millions of Americans to meet a subjective need for self-defense. This fact alone entitles such magazines to Second Amendment protection. But a magazine, when a magazine is commonly owned by Americans with the subjective intention of using it for self-defense, it is enough to say that it is in common use or typically used for self-defense, as the Supreme Court employs the phrase in its opinions. Probably the vast majority of Americans that own magazines of 11 rounds or more keep them and use them for self-defense in the same way that a driver puts on and uses a seatbelt in the case of a collision. Though collisions rarely happen, the seatbelt is used for protection and to, and to be ready for the unexpected collision. A reserve canopy is being used on a parachute jump, though it is not deployed in the case that the main parachute fails. A cell phone in one's pocket is being used when waiting for a telephone call or in the event one needs to make a call. In the same way, a firearm kept in one's nightstand is used for self-defense even when the night is quiet. It is kept and used in case of confrontation. A person may happily live a lifetime without needing to fire their gun in self-defense, but that is not to say that such a person does not use their gun for self-defense when he or she keeps it under the bed with a hope and prayer that it never has to be fired. In 2016, an 81-year-old Uniontown, Pennsylvania man and his elderly sister were at home at night when an intruder broke in. In the ensuing struggle, the older man fired one shot from his gun at his attacker. The victim said he had never before fired his gun and it had been sitting on the nightstand for 30 years. California would say that the victim did not use his gun for self-defense on any day of those preceding 30 years. And if his gun had had a magazine with 11 or more rounds in it, the news report does not say, California would argue that the victim never did use his large capacity magazine in self-defense. This court would say that the victim used his gun every night of the 30 years. He subjectively kept it on his bed bedroom nightstand in case of confrontation, including the night of the burglary. And if his gun had been equipped with a large capacity magazine, it could be correctly said, it could correctly be said that he also used the large capacity magazine for self-defense every night of the 30 years he subjectively kept it on his bedroom nightstand in case of confrontation. C. The invention of the 2.2 shot average. This is page 26. Judge Benitez, without agreeing that when the Supreme Court discusses firearms, quote, in common use, unquote, it means commonly fired, even if it did, 
the state statistic is suspect. California relies entirely on the opinion of its statistician for the hypothesis that defenders fire an average of only 2.2 shots in case of confrontation. Where does the 2.2 shot average originate? There is no national or state government data report on shots fired in self-defense situations. There is no public government database. One would expect to see investigatory police reports as the most likely source to accurately capture data on shots fired or number of shell casings found, although not every use of a gun in self-defense is reported to the police. As between the two sides, while in a better position to collect and produce such reports, the state's attorney general has not provided a single police report to the court or to his own expert. Wow. Without investigatory reports, the state's expert turns to anecdotal statements, often from bystanders, reported in news media and selectively studied. She indicates she conducted two studies. Based on these two studies of newspaper stories, she opines that it is statistically rare for a person to fire more than 10 rounds in self-defense and that only 2.2 shots are fired on average. Unfortunately, her opinion lacks classic indicia of reliability. Indicia is the plural of um, indicators or indicate an indication, I should say. An indication is singular, indicia is plural. Unfortunately, her opinion lacks classic indicia of reliability, and her two studies cannot be reproduced and are not peer-reviewed. Quote, reliability and validity are two aspects of accuracy and measurement. In statistics, reliability refers to the reproducibility of results, unquote. Uh, and that, that footnote is uh, worth looking at. It's from the Federal Judicial Center Reference Manual on Scientific Evidence. Judge Benitez, again, her studies cannot be tested because she has not disclosed her data. Wow. Her studies have not been replicated. In fact, the formula used to select 200 news stories for the Factiva study is incomprehensible. For one study, Allen says that she conducted a search of stories published in the NRA Institute for Legislative Action magazine, known as the Armed Citizen Database between two, uh, 2011 and 2017. There's no explanation for the choice to use 2011 for the beginning. After all, the collection of the news stories goes back to 1958. Wow. Elsewhere in her uh, declaration, she studies mass shooting events. But for that, she chooses a much longer uh, time period, reaching back to 1982. Likewise, there's no explanation for not updating the study after 2017. However, it is 
<laughs> However, it is that they were chosen. Some 736 incidents in the armed citizen database were said to be analyzed and the number of shots tabulated, but details are completely absent. Allen does not list the 736 stories, nor does she reveal how she assigned the number of shots fired in self-defense when the news story accounts use phrases like, quote, the intruder was shot, but no number of shots were reported, or that, quote, when there was an exchange of gunfire, unquote, or multiple rounds were fired, she, indic she includes in her 2.2 average of defensive shots fired incidents where no shots were fired. One would expect the impact of Allen's choice to include a zero for a no-shot event to be significant because even using her number, 32.1% of the events in the home in California were no-shot events. She also reported no incidents in California where more than 10 shots were fired in self-defense among the stories she reviewed. It seems obvious that in a state where magazines holding more than 10 rounds have been illegal to buy or sell for 20 years, law-abiding citizens are using the smaller magazines that the law requires for self-defense. Absent from the op expert opinion is a statistic reporting the average number of shots fired by criminals. <laughs> also absent is the number of intruders or whether the homeowner was able to escape unharmed. In another example, it is not evident from the study how she counted the number, how she counted the number of shots fired for one story in the collection where a homeowner, quote, fired back, unquote, and three intruders suffered eight gunshot wounds. Considering the most uh, considering most victims missed some of their shots, one would expect in defending against three attackers that more than eight shots were fired in self-defense. Instead, all the court is told is, and this is a block quote, quote, when the exact number of shots fired was not specified, showing you the quote, we use the average for the most relevant incidents with a known number of shots. For example, if the story stated that, quote, shots were fired, unquote, this would indicate that at least two shots were fired and that, and thus we use the average of number of shots fired in all incidents in which two or more shots were fired and the number of shots was specified, unquote. There's Judge Benitez again. She does not reveal the imputed number substitute value that she used where the exact number of shots fired was not specified. So her result cannot be reproduced. Interestingly, substituting an imputed average value for all the times the number of shots fired is unknown tends to bring the overall average of shots fired down toward 2.2. For example, if there are 10 incidents of self-defense where nine times the victim fired two shots and one time the victim fired 13 shots, the average number of shots fired would be 3.1, but the percentage of times more than 10 shots were needed for self-defense would be 10%. For a second study, 
Allen says she conducted a word search of a news aggregator called Factiva. Factiva is a commercial database behind a paywall to which the court and the public have no access. Even if one did have access to the Factiva database, one could not repeat her study. Allen's methodology for the Factiva study is incomprehensible. For the Factiva database of 70 million news stories, her word search returned 35,000 stories. From there, she somehow selected 200 stories of defensive gun used in the home and set out to analyze the events. As with the armed citizen study, Allen does not provide a list of the 200 stories she analyzed. That is amazing. Compare that to the long detailed list of 179 mass shooting stories where she includes, uh, which she includes in the second part of her declaration. Okay, this is me. So in other words, the the expert, <laughs> her re results cannot be reproduced. They have not been peer reviewed. She does not share her exact data, the exact um, individual data, datums, data, <laughs> individual data, uh, individual datum, right? for each story. And so, but she does for mass shootings and she goes back further for mass shootings, 1982. She only goes back to 2011 for the defensive. So it's totally biased. Here's judge Benitez again. Had a table of the stories she and her term analyzed been supplied, it would certainly reveal important information. For example, this court randomly selected two pages from Allen's mass shooting table, pages 10 and 14. From looking at these two pages, assuming that the sources for the reports were accurate and unbiased, the court is able to make statistical observations, including the, num the observation that the number of shots fired were unknown 69.04% of the time. Without a similar table for the NRA or Factiva studies, this court cannot ascertain the number of shots fired in each incident, the number of times a homeowner possessed an LCM, the number of times the number of shots fired were unknown, whether the homeowner was unarmed, unharmed, or the number of intruders. Allen's 2.2 shot average is suspect for larger reasons. The whole statistical exercise is based on hearsay, anecdotes, upon hearsay, news reporting, rather than police investigatory reports. A database of news articles lacks the usual indicia of accuracy and reliability of admissible evidence. According to 15 national polls conducted by law enforcement agencies, there may be between 760 thousand defensive handgun uses to 3.6 million defensive uses each year. Compared to the comprehensive details given for her study on mass shooting events, the NRA and Factiva studies are curiously lacking in depth and breadth 
and causes the court to deeply discount her opinion. The court is aware of its obligation to act as a gatekeeper to keep out junk science where it does not meet the reliability standard of Daubert versus Merrill Dow Pharmaceuticals. That's a 1993 Supreme Court case and federal rule of evidence 702. In a bench trial, the relevancy bar is low and rule 702 is to be applied with a liberal thrust favoring admission. While opinions and evidence may have uh, been deemed admissible, in some cases, the evidence has been given very little weight or no weight at all. This is the fact finder's role. Quote, challenges that go to the weight of the evidence are within the province of a fact finder, unquote. So while the questionable uh, expert testimony was admitted, it has now been weighted in all in light of all the evidence. In assessing expert witness opinion, a court looks to see whether the opinion given is newly made or whether it grew naturally out of research conducted outside of the litigation. Bias may be evident, according to legal authorities, where the expert forms an opinion without peer-reviewed scientific support or before examining sufficient data. Bias may also be evident where an expert opinion is formed solely for the purposes of litigation. Here, the court is mindful that, quote, for scientific evidence to be admissible, the proponent must show the assertion is derived by a scientific method, unquote, and, quote, opinion based on unsubstantiated and undocumented information is the antithesis of scientifically reliable expert opinion. The court must assess the expert's reasoning or methodology using as appropriate criteria such uh, using as appropriate criteria such as testability publication in peer-reviewed literature, known or potential error rate, and general acceptance, unquote. Methods and procedures must be followed, and undisciplined speculation is not science. Quote, to aid courts in exercising this gatekeeping role, the Supreme Court has suggested a non-exclusive and flexible list of factors that a court may consider when determining the reliability of expert testimony, including one, whether a theory or technique can be tested, two, whether it has been subjected to peer review and publication, three, the known or potential error rate of the theory or technique, and four, whether the theory or technique enjoys general acceptance within the relevant scientific community. Allen's study, that's unquote there, that's all from a, well, federal court decision. Allen's study um relies on unverified uncorroborated 
second or third hand anecdotal information. Normally, quote, a witness may testify to a matter only if evidence is introduced sufficient to support a finding that the witness has personal knowledge of, of the matter, unquote. Assuming its relevance, in the first incidence, for Bruin purposes, the statistical analysis has minimal indicia of uh, accuracy or reliability. In the end, Allen, that's the state's expert witness, opines that an average of 2.2 shots are fired in self-defense gun scenarios, and only 0.3% of such incidents involve more than 10 shots fired. Yet, even 0.3% is a lot, a lot in terms of actual times a citizen needs to fire his gun in self-defense. Using the estimate from the Centers for Disease Control mentioned earlier of half a million to three million times per year nationally, and extrapolating the 0.3% where more than 10 shots were fired per Allen's report, would mean defensive gun uses of more than 10 shots happen between... 1,500 and 9,000 times every year based on the CDC annual number of defensive guns cited on the website Allen cited and relied on. D, magazines holding more than 10 rounds are not dangerous and unusual. Taking another tack, the state reframes the dangerous and unusual test as dangerous or unusual test and then objectively <laughs> and then objects that magazines able to hold more than 10 rounds are unusually dangerous as the court has stated all guns and ammunition are dangerous that's quoting staples remember i told you look that case up and read it. it's from 1994 supreme court i'm going to read that sentence again <laughs> I'm having fun. I don't know about you. I'm ha I'm having a lot of fun. I'm going to read that sentence again. As the court has stated, all guns and ammunition are dangerous. However, magazines holding more than 10 rounds are not both dangerous and unusual, which is the Supreme Court's test. So-called large capacity magazines banned in California are commonly owned by law-abiding citizens across the nation and number in the millions. E, the most useful for military service, Nostrum. It's page 34 in the Michelle and Associates copy, which is in linked in the description below. The state argues, and some courts have reasoned, that magazines holding more than 10 rounds are, quote, most useful in military service and therefore can be banned. The Supreme Court said no such thing. Cayetano addresses this question and says, quote, Heller rejected the proposition that only those weapons useful in warfare are protected, unquote. Heller was explaining the United States versus Miller. This is me, just really briefly. Um, I briefly mentioned Miller, talked a little bit about Miller in the last episode. If you want to look at that last episode, Miller was a Supreme Court Second Amendment decision in the New Deal era, and it had to do with the National Firearms Act uh, registration requirements for a sawed-off shotgun. 
Okay. And so what, uh, what judge Benitez is saying here is that Miller was not overruled as bad precedent. In fact, it was incorporated into the reasoning of Heller so that the reasoning that is going uh, in Supreme Court jurisprudence on the Second Amendment goes all the way back to the 1930s. So it's not newly invented. Okay. That's the significance of what he's saying here. That's me. This is Judge Benitez. In Miller, the Supreme Court applied a reasonable relationship to the militia test to a short barreled shotgun, asking whether the shotgun would have a reasonable relationship to the preservation or efficiency of a well-regulated militia. Finding none, it decided the Second Amendment did not guarantee the right to keep that particular firearm apart from the registration requirements under the NFA. That last part was me. Judge Benitez, a Miller's realm of Second Amendment protection encircled a firearm if it was reasonably related to malicious use. This, quote, reasonably related construct, uh, unquote, received a nod again in Lewis versus United States. That's a 1980 case where the Supreme Court sang Miller's refrain. Quote, the Second Amendment guarantees no right to keep and bear our firearm that does not have some reasonable relationship to the re uh, preservation or efficiency of a well-regulated militia, unquote. There was no undercutting of Miller in the Heller or Bruin decisions. Let me say that one more time. Judge Benitez, there was no undercutting of Miller in the Heller or Bruin decisions. Rather, Heller embraced Miller and said, quote, we therefore read Miller to say that, say only that the Second Amendment does not protect those weapons not typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes, such as short-barreled shotguns. That accords with the historical understanding of the scope of the right, unquote. And Bruin, quote, quoted, explained, reaffirmed, and then applied, unquote, Miller. Heller took the already expansive zone of protection for weapons that could be used by the militia and focused on the core use of firearms for self-defense. In other words, Heller made the logical connection between weapons commonly possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes that would also be useful if necessary for military purposes in the militia. Since Miller, the Supreme Court has enlarged the breadth of firearms protected by the Second Amendment to include commonly owned firearms useful for the core right of self-defense and other lawful purposes like hunting, sporting, and target shooting. Until the Supreme Court clearly says otherwise, commonly owned weapons that are useful for war and are reasonable related to militia use are also fully protected, so long as they are not uh, useful solely for military purposes. I'm going to read that part again, okay? 
until the Supreme Court clearly says otherwise, commonly owned weapons that are useful for war and are reasonably related to militia use are also fully protected so long as they are not useful solely for military purposes. This is me. I'm going to just insert right here. What Judge Benitez is doing is he's really um, kind of saving machine guns at this point uh, for being banned. And I don't think that that's his main focus. I actually don't think he really cares that much <laughs> about it at this point. Not that he he doesn't care about it, but just I think that it's not on his radar. But he's just wanting to be clear that um, that uh, F four. We're not talking about F fourteens, and we're not. We're definitely not talking about nuclear weapons. Okay. Um. But I, I think it's even more to the point of being able to hold the gun. I think he's not he's, he's making a distinction that would save stuff like bazookas and grenade launchers and um, probably machine guns. Uh, but again, that's not what's under review here. So he's not going to really put all his energy into that. But all that is there somewhere in the background, I think. Okay. Judge Benitez again. Firearms with magazines holding more than 10 rounds are such reasonably related arms. Even Miller understood that the Constitution, the, the Constitution should protect the possession of ammunition. For the militia system to function, quote, the possession of arms also implied the possession of ammunition and the authorities paid quite as much attention to the latter as to the former. Unquote. That's from um, a scholarly source. All considered, the best reading of arms includes magazines. All right, we're on Roman numeral three, Bruin and the magazine capacity limit, page 36. Plaintiffs challenge the relevant statute, which prohibits manufacturing, importing, keeping for sale, offering for sale, giving, lending, buying, receiving, or possessing a magazine able to hold more than 10 rounds. For simple possession of a magazine holding more than 10 rounds, the crime is an infraction under the relevant statute. It is much more serious crime to acquire a magazine holding more than 10 rounds in California by importing, buying, borrowing, borrowing, receiving, or manufacturing. These acts may be punished as a misdemeanor or a felony under the relevant statute under the subsections provision, quote, imprisonment imprisonment pursuant to subdivision h of section 1 1170 unquote punishment may either be a misdemeanor or a felony this court concludes once again that manufacturing importing selling giving loaning buying receiving acquiring possessing storing or using commonly owned magazines capable of holding more than 10 rounds for self-defense at home or in public is protected by the second amendment Okay, I'm going to read that again. This court concludes once again that manufacturing, importing, selling, giving, loaning, buying, receiving, acquiring, possessing, storing, or using 
commonly owned magazines capable of holding more than 10 rounds for self-defense at home or in public is protected by the Second Amendment. There's a missing comma there between loaning and buying, by the way. Fun facts. Whether the 50-round, 75-round, or 100-round drum magazines are constitutionally protected is a different question because they may be much less common and may be unusual. A. Remand for Bruin Review. This case was remanded from the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in order to consider the challenge laws under the recent Supreme Court decision in Bruin. Again, I print this out, folks, and I read this, all of it carefully. I read the footnotes. I spot check things. If I've never seen a a source before, I'll spot check it. Usually the sources are ones that I'm familiar with and that I've read before. Here's Judge Benitez again, page 37. Under Bruin, the government must affirmatively approve that its firearm regulation is part of a constitutional historical tradition. It is the same text, history, and tradition standard the court used in Heller and McDonald. What is different is that the old means ends interest balancing tiers of scrutiny test is no longer viable. The state now has a second chance to defend its large capacity magazine ban and must do so applying the Bruin test. Bruin says, quote, here's a block quote, so it's a little bit long. Quote, when the Second Amendment's plain text covers an individual's conduct, the Constitution presumptively protects that conduct. The government must then justify its regulation by demonstrating that it is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Only then may a court conclude that the individual's conduct falls outside of the Second Amendment's unqualified command, unquote. And Bruin confirms once again that the Second Amendment applies to modern arms. Thus, Quote, thus, even though the Second Amendment's definition of arms is fixed according to its historical understanding, that general definition covers modern instruments that facilitate armed self-defense, unquote, like magazines able to hold more than 10 rounds. Okay. Lowercase i, already determined, no historical pedigree. This court previously determined that a ban on magazines able to hold more than 10 rounds has no historical pedigree. Detachable magazines were invented in the late 19th century. In 1990, New Jersey introduced the first ban on detectable, detachable magazines, initially imposing a 15-round limit and later a 10-round limit. California put its ban in place in the year 2000. A historical tradition of magazine bans, this is not. Before Bruin, the state unpersuasively argued that its magazine capacity restriction was analogous to a handful of state machine gun firing capacity regulations from the 1920s and 1930s and one District of Columbia law from 1932, a law the Supreme Court ignored while dismantling 
the District of Columbia's handgun ban in Heller. That argument remains unpersuasive today. That was pre-Bruin. Bruin invites a look farther back into the nation's history. I think it should be further back, but hey, you know, lowercase double I, the state asked for more time for discovery, page 38. And because the Bruin approach places the burden upon the government to justify its firearm restrictions by demonstrating they are consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearms regulation as understood at the founding, and because judicial review under the Bruin standard is in its infancy, the state has been given generous time and leeway to satisfy its new burden. The state's experts have been studying historic firearm regulation for more than 20 years. This court has reviewed all of the declaration of the state's declarations of the state's experts and historians, as well as many of their cited sources, and finds no support for the state's ban. Lowercase triple I, some text, history, and tradition analysis is already done. In other words, he's basically saying, I already used this test in the first time, first time we did this. And then Bruin was extra califragically expialidociously clear that I was right the first time. So I guess I'm have to re-say it, but I already said it. Page 39. Here's Judge Benitez. Some of the time spent analyzing text, history, and tradition has already been done by the Supreme Court. To begin the textual elements of the Second Amendment's operative clause, the right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed, guarantee the individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. Further, the right to bear arms refers to the right to wear, bear, or carry upon the person or in the clothing or in a pocket for the purpose of being armed and ready for offensive or defensive action in a case of conflict with another person. Let me make a quick point that I made in the first one. So if you heard the first one, you're going to hear it again. Uh, if you didn't hear this first one, well, here it is. Listen to the first one. But my comment is I'm not going to say quote and unquote every time he's quoting because he's quoting all the time. Uh, that's just how these judges go. These legal materials are constantly quoting prior legal materials. And I'm quoting and quoting some of them, like the big, some of the big ones, but a lot of it. I'm just not, because it's just going to be easier for me to read and hopefully easier for you to listen to and, and understand and remember in your soul, in your heart, your Second Amendment heart. That's all I wanted to say. Judge Benitez again. The Supreme Court explains that the terms keep and bear mean that the Second Amendment's text protects a citizen's right to keep firearms in their home at the ready for self-defense and to carry arms on one's person in and outside the home in case of confrontation. As to the types of weapons the Second Amendment protects, Bruin echoes Heller, MacDonald, Cayetano, Miller, and Blackstone, <laughs> pronouncing that it protects the possession and use of weapons that are in common use at the time. In this case, plaintiffs are law-abiding citizens who want to possess or keep or carry or bear magazines able to hold more than 10 rounds commonly owned for lawful purposes. Plaintiffs' proposed conduct is covered by the plain text of the Second Amendment. 
under the plain text, the state statute infringes on the constitutional rights of American citizens. Therefore, plaintiffs have met their burden of showing that the prohibited magazines fall within the Second Amendment's texts. Bruin next instructs courts to assess whether the initial conclusion is confirmed by the historical understanding of the Second Amendment. Bruin has already confirmed that the Second Amendment protects an individual right to armed self-defense. It repeats, page 40, Heller's lesson not to engage in means-end scrutiny because, quote, a constitutional guarantee subject to future judgment uh, future judges' assessments of its usefulness is no constitutional guarantee at all, unquote. After all, quote, the Second Amendment is the very product of an interest balancing by the people, and it surely elevates above all other interests the right of law-abiding, responsible citizens to use arms for self-defense. It is this balance, struck by the traditions of the American people, that demands our unqualified deference, unquote. And that is a quote from Bruin, in turn quoting Heller. B, Bruin's Guidelines for Historical Inquiry. For conducting a historical inquiry, Bruin identifies a number of guidelines. First, when a challenge regulation addresses a general societal problem that has persisted since the 18th century, the lack of distinctly similar Historical regulation addressing that problem is relevant evidence that the challenge regulation is inconsistent with the Second Amendment. Second, if earlier generations addressed the social societal problem but did so through materially different means, that could also be evident that a modern regulation is unconstitutional. Third, if some jurisdictions actually attempted to enact analogous regulations during this time frame, but those proposals were rejected on constitutional grounds, that rejection surely would provide some probative evidence of unconstitutionality. Fourth, cases implicating unprecedented societal concerns or dramatic technological changes may require a more nuanced approach. Fifth, when confronting such present-day firearms regulations, this historical inquiry that courts must conduct will often involve reasoning by analogy. Quote, determining whether a historical regulation is a proper analog for a distinctly modern firearms regulation requires a determination of whether the two regulations are relevantly similar, unquote. Bruin notes, and this is a longer quote, okay, it's a block quote, let me show you. Bruin notes, quote, analogically, analogical reasoning under the Second Amendment is neither a regulatory straitjacket nor a regulatory blank check. On the one hand, courts should not uphold every law, every modern law that remotely resembles a historical analog, because doing so risks endorsing outliers that our ancestors would never have accepted. On the other hand, an analogical reasoning requires only that the government identify a well-established and representative historical analog, not a historical twin. So even if a modern-day regulation is not a dead ringer for historical precursors, it still may be analogous enough 
to pass constitutional muster, unquote. In serving, surveying American history, the task is to stay within Bruin's guardrails. As to the road ahead, it is a road back to 1791. Okay, we're going to get into this next time. So I'm on page 41. If you want to print this out and, and read along with me or read ahead or just read it later, uh, bit by bit. Um, I think this is fantastic legal education here, not only on the Bill of Rights and the original Constitution, but just on uh, constitutional interpretation in general and um, American history, getting some American history here, too. So wonderful education. Glad to have you along on the Republican Professor podcast. Let me make a quick comment about how I look at the issue of Republican versus Democrat judges. This is the Republican Professor podcast. Judge Robert Roger T. Benitez was conf confirmed by the Senate after being nominated to the federal bench by George W. Bush. Um, I think it's an interesting exercise to go through and just take note of the judges that seem to really get it right on the Second Amendment. Um, you know, on other things too, but we're focused on the Second Amendment here. Um, and see which president nominated them to the bench. Or if it's a state judge, you could do the same thing with the governor if it's a governor nomination or appointment. Um, I think it, if you do that exercise, you're going to come up with something similar to what I discovered, at least at the federal level, on the Second Amendment. And I'm restricting my comments to the Second Amendment only right now. Um, although it is interesting to see how that might be applied to other parts, but that's too complicated for me to get into right now. But at least on the Second Amendment, I've discovered that the vast majority of Democrats in a, a post-1968 Democratic Party, I should say, tend to get it wrong. And I think that that's very easily defended. What I mean by tend to get it wrong is like, okay, 90%, easily 90% or more. Republicans come in two types, Republicans who get it and Republicans who don't get it. Okay. And so where are we left here? Well, I think the Republicans who get it are leading the way here and teaching America about the Second Amendment here, the judges. Uh, they, in some cases, are bringing their Republicans that don't get it along and teaching them that they should get it. And I also think they're teaching the Democrats as well. Um, I I don't have anything more to say at this point because it would 
require getting a little bit more into the weeds as far as who said what and what decision. But there are a handful of Democrat judges that did write by the Second Amendment. I don't know if I should say handful. I can only think of like two or three since Bill Clinton. Since I, that's safe to say, since Bill Clinton. Um, there are quite a number of Republicans that have done well, and we would not have Heller, McDonald, Cayetano, and Bruin without Republicans. No Democrat signed on to those decisions besides maybe Cayetano, and even then it's not clear because it was a per curiam and there were no dissents. So it might be that there were dissents, but they weren't published. They weren't published as dissents. So it might've been that, I'm gonna have to look that, I'm gonna look that up really quick. Just be careful. Yeah, I just looked it up, Cayetano, there were no dissents. There were two concurrences. Um, so, how do you make sense of that? It was a 5-4 in, in Heller, 5-4 in McDonald, razor thin Republicans only in the majority. Okay. The, the Democrats were all in the minority on that. Then Cayetano happens. Cayetano's based on those other two decisions. And then the Democrats are quiet because it involves stun guns and women trying to defend themselves with stun guns. Um, so I think that that's an example of Republicans leading the way and bringing the Democrats kind of kicking and dragging and screaming along and they eventually get it. Now, my theory does have challenges when it comes to Bruin because the Democrats, the only Democrats on the court were on the minority on that. And the Republicans were in the majority. And so there's a clear line split between the Republicans and the Democrats. And, you know, I'm not saying what this means, you know, like nationally about the parties. I'm not saying this definitely proves Republicans are better on everything. I'm not saying that I'm restricting my comments to the Second Amendment. I do think that the Second Amendment is kind of like a bellwether on on other things. And, you know, so it's not like a knockdown drag out argument. I'm just it's a political phenomenology. I'm just saying, pay attention to what's right in front of you. It means something, even if you don't quite know what it means. It does mean something. And don't forget it. It's important. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. I enjoyed being here with you. Talk to you later.